The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Why did so many investors get so much wrong in 2022? In this exchange, I sit down with renowned geopolitical strategy Tina Fordham to talk about how investors and CEOs should approach 2023, what will happen in the Ukraine war, and much, much more. Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast by Reuters Breaking News. I am Francesco Guerrera, Global Economics Editor. Today I'm in London to talk to Tina Fordham, a renowned geopolitical strategist and founder of Fordham Global Foresight, about the geopolitical outlook for 2023. She analyzes the future of the conflict in Ukraine, how China will exit its zero-COVID policy, and what will happen to the relationship between Beijing and Washington. Tina, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm just going to start uh, from, the, from last year. We just waved goodbye, or in some cases good riddance, to a year marked by extraordinary geopolitical and economic events. Uh, very few investors and CEOs, though, got it right, uh, at least judging by the sharp falls in financial markets and, and other factors. And why is that? Why didn't they get this right? Well, uh, it's a very good question and uh, one that a lot of boards and management committees will be spending time thinking about. But I think the short answer is uh, we've never been here before. Of course, my expectation is that the geopolitical turmoil that was unleashed in 2022 is going to carry on. I think we're looking at a decade of disruption. And so it makes sense to take stock of why these mistakes were made. Um, we've known each other a long time, as you know. Yeah. I've been talking to institutional investors, boards, CEOs, close to 25 years. And for all of that period, really, um, geopolitics has been a footnote and a due diligence exercise. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think we need to, to be kind uh, to ourselves. But I think also we need to reorient our perspective. You know, if you ignore things that can't be quantified or modeled very easily, as it turns out, you're going to um, miss out on factors which are pretty influential in the business and investment environment. I think the most useful explanation, Mm -hmm. though, of what went wrong is actually due to cognitive bias. Mm. Um, The expectation that things will continue the way that they usually do Mm Um, and the sense of uh, dividing things into binary outcomes. In other words, Putin will invade or he won't, Um, when in fact there are many more plausible scenarios in between. The risk is that we are about to make more mistakes of this kind in the current circumstances. Um, We're still talking about when the war will end. Mm -hmm. Is it good news that Putin says he's willing to consider a ceasefire? We're looking at not only an extended period of turmoil from the conflict itself, but so many um, byproducts and wild cards emerging from China, Taiwan, to the rise of middle powers, uh, and to our own performance here in, in the UK. So, one staying with 2022 for a second, then we'll move to, to this year. Uh, was one of the reasons why CEOs and investors didn't get it, the fact that it's very difficult to put these geopolitical factors into a model. So they are difficult to to turn into numbers, essentially. I I think it's a multifaceted explanation. Yes, it's hard to quantify. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you the number of times people have said to me, can you you do us a model (laughs) on geopolitical risk? And I said, sure, what are we looking for? Are we looking for cross-border conflict? 
uh, are we looking for coups? Right. Um, what do we talk about? You know, what do we mean when we talk yeah. about geopolitical risk? Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't lend itself to it, and also there's been a, a, a rather, um, you know, uh, ethnocentric sense that that political risk is something that happened far away mm -hmm. in emerging mm -hmm. markets. Uh, what's changed, of course, is we have U.S. political risk. You know, it was only a year ago, January 6th, a year sure, ago sure. today, that we had uh, the U.S. Capitol building on fire, mm -hmm. Brexit, and everything else. So I think there's a lagging effect in the way that we understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a sense that um, we will mean revert, right? right? We'll go back to a time of predictability, one of the things I argue in my 2023 outlook is that that's the, that's the wrong idea. Right. Um, we happen to have grown up in a period of prosperity and peace lasting about 30 years, this period of hyper-globalization and, and integration. I'm not saying we're going back to some horrible, grim, uh, you know, sort of period mm -hmm. uh, turning mm -hmm. the clock back. But more disruption is on the horizon, and you have a choice to make. Um, you, you narrow that disconnect between expectations and, and reality, or you, you are disappointed and on the back foot because you hope for um, uh, you know, going, going backwards into this more um, calm and stable period. And so looking at this year, is your understanding, speaking to boys and investors, that now there is a much higher um, interest in, in, in geopolitical factors and how are they factoring in into their investment decision, corporate decisions? So yes, there's more interest. Uh, I've probably never had so so many requests. I think, you know, it, it's going to be a feature of, of every investor and corporate gathering to, you know, to set the scene on what to expect from the outlook. Mm -hmm. But what isn't happening is operationalizing um, and, and being more systematic about looking at these kinds of risks. And of course, you know, that's an approach that I've been developing over a long period of time. I don't think uh, we can say that that if this is a poly crisis, it's a VUCA world, and we just give up. I think that we can develop tools and approaches to be more systematic. So again, we kind of narrow that disconnect mm -hmm. for surprises. And let, so let's talk about some of this crisis and how boards and investors can actually uh, narrow the, the, this, 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 the, the range of outcomes. I mean, what do you advise them to do on things like Ukraine? How should one think about the war in Ukraine, for example? Well, of course, it depends on your exposure. I mean, mm. uh, there are very few companies actually operating in Russia. So I think that we have to do two main things. First of all, to look at the trajectory for the conflict. We are here in, in Europe. What does it mean for us in Europe, for, you know, for, for the economic outlook, for uh, defense and right. security relations, et cetera? So there's that kind of regional implications. Mm -hmm. And then there are the wider implications. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned middle powers. Um, there are some countries that are benefiting from Russian sanctions and picking up some of that trade. Uh, business is being shifted to, to other jurisdictions and, and other regions. We can actually try to map that. When I say that we're not going backward, um, certainly when I talk to, to U.S. investors, one of the most common questions I get about the Russia-Ukraine mm. conflict mm. is, um, when will Europeans give in, right? Give in by, what do they mean by giving in? Give in to Putin. Oh, wow. Yes, and, and I say every time, what you need to understand is that Europe has managed to pull off something very significant uh, in this period, mm -hmm. and that is to end dependence upon Russian energy supplies. Russian, Russia is not going to be a supplier to Europe. Yes, there will be consequences for energy prices going mm -hmm. up, 
let's see this here in the UK, even right. though we have pretty limited actual dependence right. on Russian supplies, that's a problem for, for national governments, but it doesn't mean um, that we resume the, the previous relationship with Russia. Mm -hmm. So you see that as a, that's never going to come back, it's, it's not going to come back in the short term, that dependency or that re trade relation with Russia specifically on energy. That's right, and, and I think we need some historical context there. So think about the U.S.-Venezuela relationship, which has been pretty terrible for a long period of time. Never during that period did Venezuela disrupt its energy supplies. And likewise, the former Soviet Union during all of the Cold War. So I think Russia has itself to blame uh, for this by basically making itself an unreliable partner. You can only push that button once, uh, and it's already happened. So Europe has moved on. Um, are there divisions, people like to say cracks, between mm -hmm. European countries, mm. France and Germany, etc.? Giorgio Meloni and, and Italy, is, you know, is that going to change anything? There have always been differences of opinion between European member states, mm -hmm. um, but they're just, we're not going back to uh, another kind of um, uh, bilateral relationship with Russia. Uh, we're not turning back the clock. Um, in the best case scenario, we have a conclusion to this conflict in, in the near future. Even then, I emphasize to, to clients that reversal of sanctions is unlikely to happen in the foreseeable future, even if the conflict ended tomorrow with a ceasefire agreement and a diplomatic agreement that was backed up and verified. Um, again, looking at history, sanctions are pretty useful to have around uh, to, to make sure that everybody complies yeah. with the agreement. So mm -hmm. sanctions will remain in place. And, you know, moving even uh, more into the future, it's hard to imagine how Western countries will and companies will be able to engage with Russia without a new leader. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's sometime into the future. There are also some other plausible scenarios which are pretty high risk. One is that Russia uses an unconventional weapon right. of some kind. Again, the focus there is too much, in my view, on um, the worst case scenario, uh, a nuclear weapon, the NATO gets drawn into a conflict and right. it's World War III. What we might very well wake up to, though, is a, a below threshold attack. Uh, and then, uh, you know, some uncertainty about how and, and if and on what basis mm -hmm. um, NATO might engage. To me, that, that is a plausible scenario that isn't being given uh, enough thought. For and example, like a, they could attack a pipeline, you know, going back to energy. I mean, attack a pipeline would well, be any, below threshold. Well, any attack threshold. outside of, of Ukraine itself, first yeah. of all, would escalate significantly. Right. So right. my, you know, my um, advice on thinking about a below threshold attack is something inside Ukraine, but using okay. an unconventional weapon. Um, you know, any uh, under any circumstances, if Russia is to uh, to attack outside of Ukraine, particularly to a NATO member state, um, then we're talking about something much more significant. I don't think that will happen. Mm -hmm. But Putin has shown that he is willing to push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, and frankly, sometimes in, in quite surprising ways, most recently blaming Russian soldiers themselves yes. for, uh, for um, the Ukrainian attack that is thought to have killed dozens. One presumes that um, the Kremlin thinks that, uh, that that's a better explanation than attributing the attack to Ukraine's own military prowess. 
Um, we ought to be concerned also about what Russia can do as a failed state, uh, a weak and failed state. And then finally, the Russia-Iran relationship, military relationship, two pariah states with Iran um, now, you know, uh, experiencing internal um, upheaval due to the youth protests at the same time as it's marginalized. And now we're not going to be expecting um, a revival of the nuclear deal, diplomatic deal with Iran. That's dangerous too. So we've got to break it down into plausible scenarios mm -hmm. and think in a, in a more nuanced way um, about what the effects will be. Mm. And in t speaking of plausible scenarios, what should we expect on the China front? And I'm talking about two fronts, really. One is COVID and their exit from COVID and uh, um, Taiwan. Mm. What, what are your thoughts on those? Well, markets have been most focused on um, zero COVID and the continuation of that. Uh, it's been interesting to observe how the protests, you know, and let's remember that was after three years of people living uh, under incredibly difficult circumstances, basically house arrest in China, um, now gone completely the other direction. Um, to me, it's pretty easy to, you know, to contemplate a possible return to zero COVID, however. So, really? Um, yes, of course. I mean, right now we have a, a skyrocketing deaths. Could we reach a point where it's intolerable for the Chinese government? Um, could there be some, some partial um, returns to, wow. to lockdown? I don't think this is out of the realm of, of possibility, but this has been a big test for Xi's leadership, just recently consolidated at the Communist Party Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to say that governments can, can only do one big thing at a time, uh, and I think COVID continues to be that. Uh, in terms of the, the debate about uh, China reunifying with Taiwan, it's still a question of when and not if, and I think that's really important to keep in mind. Another lesson from uh, Putin's invasion of, of Ukraine really has to be taking leaders at their word. And she has been clear about this, that by 2025, which is only a couple of years from now, that China and Taiwan would reunify. Again, however, it's not a binary outcome. Mm -hmm. um, what is uh, something to, to consider is how China might start in a more piecemeal fashion um, to, uh, to make that scenario happen, getting closer relations with Taiwan. In a peaceful manner, you mean? Well, or semi-peaceful <laughs> manner? I, I think more, more piecemeal, piecemeal. Not, not peaceful, peaceful. Okay. meaning a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Military strategists uh, anticipate that it would take a, a, a great deal of, um, of uh, um, hardware, equipment, et cetera, to make something like that happen. But it's all the more reason why, if you're a market participant or you're a business leader, mm. spend more time thinking about the scenarios in between the binary outcome, war and no war. And the, you talk a little bit in your outlook about the future of autocracies, right? We talked about in this podcast already about Russia and Iran and, and even China. I mean, what's your sense on a, on a medium to short, uh, to medium to long term? horizon? I mean, are we seeing a waning, a weakening of autocracies that it could be structural or not? Well, let's just think back a little bit to the, the first months of the pandemic. Uh, it was fashionable for a while for um, observers to say that autocracies were going to do a better job of controlling the pandemic. Remember yeah, I, that? I remember very well. Yes. Um, <laughs> that 
has not turned out to be the case. I happen to think that's good news. There's certainly a, a proportion of market participants who, um, who find the idea of autocracy and this kind of imagined uh, streamlining, shall we say, of uh, institutions and rule of law, et cetera, to be advantageous. For better or worse, I think, uh, messy democracies and their institutions have turned out uh, over the, the course of the pandemic crisis um, to have managed it better. So autocracies not only have not covered themselves in glory um, mm. through their management of the pandemic, um, they are also really showing signs of cracking mm -hmm. in various ways, whether that was the, the anti-zero COVID protests in China, which were largely peaceful and um, uh, you know, appear to have helped bring about a change in government stance, to Ir Iran, where I think mm -hmm. the more sustained youth protests that we're seeing pose a, a, a major threat to the stability of, of that regime. Uh, of course, to Russia, where um, you don't have that youth no. cohort present, um, but you do have an autocracy which um, appears to be bent on its own self-destruction. Yes. I was very struck uh, in your outlook when you said that there were a number of positive things to have come out of 2022. Talk us through them, because yes. we should end on a positive note, I think. Well, I think it's very important, because um, Part of what I, I am kind of on a, on a mission about talking to CEOs and, and boards is that change is inevitable, right? Um, this kind of imagined sense of, of continued prosperity and stability is, isn't, isn't really grounded in fact. And anybody who comes from an emerging markets country or has experience you know, living through any kind of upheaval knows that you know, the world keeps turning um, despite change. And yeah. I think um, management of a certain age you know, needs to, to get and, and take this on board. I'm careful in my language to say positive byproducts because when we're talking about disruption um, mm -hmm. and, and humanitarian suffering on the kind of scale that we are, it's really not appropriate to talk about silver linings. Sure. Um, and so when I say byproducts, what I mean to say is, uh, for example, thinking back to Angela Merkel's government in Germany, mm -hmm. at that time she would have said it's inconceivable that Germany and Europe could ever uh, do without Russian energy supplies. Mm -hmm. uh, there mm -hmm. was a sense that Nord Stream 2 pipeline was needed. True. Um, as, I, as we discussed earlier, you know, we've, we've managed to change that and quicker than ever expected. Yes. So we have learned and we need to take on board this lesson that it isn't necessary to, um, uh, to, to have economic dependence upon regimes that hold us hostage. Exactly. Uh, so that's, a, that's an important byproduct in my view. Uh, another one, I think, has been seeing how the Chinese leadership has um, adapted to this internal challenge. Um, and and um, thinking about the U.S.-China relationship that has been so fraught, and, mm -hmm. and really that goes back to 2017 and um, the, the tariffs that, that Trump passed. We've had a difficult and much more belligerent relationship. Then we had a, a meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi that was more positive. Um, I don't want to overstate that. I call it finding the floor. Uh, but but um, a more 
turbulent geopolitical environment where the, the stakes are, are very high uh, has had an effect, for now at least, of um, bringing, uh, turning down the volume uh, mm -hmm. in that relationship and, and more constructive dialogue. Um, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, we, we really shouldn't allow this uh, loose talk I think uh, that, that that Putin has kind of normalized with the right. nuclear saber rattling, and so we we have had some um, uh, adult <laughs> dialogue come about in the U.S.-China relationship. Um, another important point was the U.S. midterms. You know, being here in London, uh, non-American uh, observers in particular have really been alarmed by the state of U.S. politics and polarization. Uh, something that has been normalized, I think, uh, amongst Americans, you yes. know, frog boiling over a period of time where um, Americans are surprised when I tell them, you know, the rest of the world is, is genuinely mystified by, by what's going on. Well, the fact that the more extreme and, frankly, less qualified candidates didn't do well mm -hmm. in the U.S. midterms, um, that they were really punished uh, yeah. even by uh, the voting public of their own parties, I think is a positive. It does leave everything wide open for U.S. 2024 20, yeah. presidential, presidential election. elections, yeah. um, which I'm not making predictions about. But again, for, for investors, um, there may be you know, marginal benefits to a Republican president for, in the White House if you're an equity investor. You know, these kinds of tropes are wheeled out yes. on every U.S. presidential election, but there's a bumper sticker that says any normal politician, um, you know, meaning we just want somebody competent in office. Right. Uh, and I think that the, the U.S. midterm outcome has made that more likely. So democracy isn't finished. Autocracy isn't a more uh, efficient way of, of running countries. In fact, it can be hugely risky, as we are now seeing. Um, there are a number of things to, to be concerned about and to, to track and monitor. Um, but the best news about 2022, I think, is that uh, things really could have been so much worse. Yes. Well, on that note, and in a positive note, I would like to thank you for being with us, and uh, hopefully we can do this again very soon. Thank you, Tina. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Megaphone, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Catch up with our latest views and much more on breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.